podcast has bad words. <laughs> All right, before we dive into our surprise questions today, and before we talk about buying with intention, Tara, we, we do this... Um, we do a segment called More About Less, where we, we read an excerpt from something. It's really a jumping off point for us to, to have a discussion. So I printed out something from your website, buymeonce.com. Yeah. By the way, we're back here with, with Tara Button from buymeonce.com, author of A Life Less Throwaway. And on here, you sort of have these, I don't know if you would call them values, um, but there are some questions mm. that you ask that lead toward some values here. So I wanted to read this from the main page of your website, and I thought it'd be a great point to discuss intentional consumption. And here are the questions you're saying. We find the best products by asking, is this product made from the most durable and sustainable materials. So mm-hmm. uh, it's one thing, I remember during our documentary, Ryan, we, were, we interviewed a minimalist architect and he said he spent like something like 18 months figuring out what couch to, to buy. And eventually he couldn't buy it, so he had it built himself. He knew what he wanted. And the thing about that was, it was the couch he wanted to use probably for the rest of his life. And so by being more deliberate, taking more time to make that decision, he actually took that decision off the table for the rest of his life, which is really nice. It's sort of the opposite of what fast fashion does. And I'm sure we'll we'll have some time here to talk about fast fashion. But fa- fast fashion is always like, I have to buy the new thing. Whatever is on trend this week, there are 52 seasons throughout the year. And I'm going to buy, buy, buy. It's never stopping to say, well, is this the most sustainable material because it doesn't matter with fast fashion. I'm just going to throw it away, right? It's a throwaway culture. And is this the most durable? Well, if we're asking that those questions, what, what you're really saying is what I, I'm going to use this for a long time. It better work for a long time. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting that you say off your shopping list for the rest of your life because that's actually how Buy Me Once started. I was given this amazing cooking pot by my sister and it's one of those heirloom items that you know traditionally you pass down to your grandchildren and this feeling that I got when I was using it I was like this item is off my shopping list for life and it just showed up everything else that I had bought so far in such a big way so I I went looking for a website that sold things that were going to last in the same way as this pot did and it didn't exist and so I ended up having to build it myself and it was through finding out the connection between longevity of products and sustainability of products that really drove my passion towards it so for example if you make an average t-shirt last just nine months longer you save like 20 to 30 percent of your carbon emissions Mm. so it was that realization that this was actually a solution to climate change that nobody was talking about that got me starting this movement. So what we do and and where this list comes from is it's our research process, essentially. What we do is we choose a product category, say frying pans, and we go out and we start comparing all the brands to each other. And we ask, you know, what are the weak points of this type of product? You know, where is it gonna go wrong? And, you know, the first, jumping off point in that is the materials. It's like, what about this material is gonna make it last longer or be more sustainable? And then through these questions, we start to weigh these um, brands up against each other and find what is essentially 
the, the best option in each product category. It may not be perfect, and there are lots of product categories that are really frustrating. There's lots of planned obsolescence, lots of you know uh, things that break before they should do, but we'll try and find the best option. Yeah, yeah, I think that's also important because during the uh, the previous segment, during the minimal episode, we we were we're talking about uh, who was it? What was her name? Uh, Gina was talking about finding the perfect replacement, and sometimes there isn't a perfect replacement. In fact, I think I think we shouldn't be searching for the perfect thing. We should be searching for the most ideal. And I make that distinction because there will be imperfections or you'll be sacrificing one thing for another thing and figuring out what is most important to you. Uh, what is vital? How are you going to use that product? Do you need that product? When, when you're asking when you're asking some of these questions, you, you start to, the answers start to reveal something about your pattern of, of consumption and the pattern of use with the things that you have. The next thing on the list is, is this product's construction long lasting and repairable? The planned obsolescence thing is, is a perfect question. You realize sometimes it's not repairable for whatever reason. You know, technology is especially, uh, uh, comes to the forefront when I think about planned obsolescence. But there are other things that they just become difficult to repair for whatever reason. Um, I, the boots that I wear, I'm able to resole them from time to time so that I don't have to replace the entire boot. Now, if I uh, damage the leather, eventually it gets damaged enough where I do have to replace it. But if I resole them a couple times, then then I get a couple extra years of, of use out of a pair of boots. And if you do that over the course of a lifetime, then you're producing far less waste. For me, minimalism has not been about producing zero waste. While I admire that that objective, for me, it's been about consuming less, and then a natural byproduct of that is the is producing less waste, and ends up being better for the environment. I'm sure that's a, a major factor in in buy me once. Absolutely. I mean, the for me, the the passion that I have for this project, it, it is an environmental passion. I've always been an environmentalist. Uh, when I was seven, I made this like projector out of a cardboard box. And the idea was to kind of project save the earth onto the moon with my dad's torch. Unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't quite reach, um, which is a shame. But now I've kind of got a brighter torch, which is by me once. Um, and it, it, it's, a, it's a way... Of, um, of of trying to do something good in the world that kind of drives me forward. But the repairability is absolutely key. And I think that there needs to be kind of almost like legislation coming in or something about the repairability, making sure that parts are available if you do want to keep something going. Mm. There's some great um, initiatives in places like Sweden where they've actually taken the tax off repairing things to incentivize people to take things back to repair rather than to replace. Because oh, That's really cool. So, mm. so many times it's it's cheaper to throw something away than to repair it and, yeah, and that and needs it, to change and that's unfortunate because if if i were to take these shoes to get resold and and if they're hundred dollar shoes and they're like well it's two hundred dollars to resold them it, it would be silly it wouldn't make sense financially for me to say well i'm going to spend I could just buy two new pairs of shoes. Why, why would I do that? And so what is nice about being able to repair something, if it's more cost effective, that it's also, it, obviously it has the other benefits as well of, of being more environmentally friendly. Do you have any examples of, of things that we often just throw away that are easily repairable? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, appliances are the worst. And and appliances are my personal bugbear because they are now breaking at double the rate that they used to. I'm talking mm. about like kettles, toasters, that type of thing, like the small kitchen appliances. And the trouble is if you know, if your if your toaster breaks down and you can buy another one for like ten bucks, twenty yeah. bucks, like the you know, because it's electrical I guess we don't have the confidence to fix it and we need to find our fixes we need to kind of bring all these amazing people with the skills and I don't know whether you have them here but in the UK we have restart projects which is where you can bring your items electrical items and have them fixed for free by people who just love fixing stuff and there's tea and cake and it's community it's amazing everyone should start this in the USA immediately that's that is awesome yeah I had a kettle break and I called to repair it and the guy wanted to charge me twice as much as what i paid for the kettle and i was like it's like your shoe example i'm like why would i pay twice as much i mean i recycled it um so i guess you know it wasn't the end of the world but although i don't know where our recycling goes in america i mean i put it in the recycling bin but i have no idea what happens (laughs) after they pick it up i was listening to bill maher recently and he has a segment called i don't know it for a fact i just know it's true (laughs) and and uh one of the things he goes i don't know it for a fact uh but I'm, I just know it's true that my recycling goes to the same place that my trash goes. Mm. And what he's really saying is we we have a lot of confidence that like, oh, I've just put this here in the recycling bin. But it, the best way to recycle is to recycle it within your own home. Mm. And, and, Definitely reuse. Yes. Reuse. And that's where, you know, again, the longevity comes in because it's very hard to reuse something or, or have something be useful for someone else if it's made to break so it's yeah. super important it's funny even like the iphone it's made to be obsolete eventually yeah i mean apple has come out and said like yeah we we intentionally update our software and the older iphones your battery's gonna you know run a lot less it's it's gonna or it's gonna the, the time on it's gonna be a lot less because we don't go out of our way to update the software on your old phone. So the solution is buy a new iPhone. Yeah. It's crazy. I have a personal <laughs> vendetta against this. So I have an iPhone 6 uh-huh. and I am seeing how long I can make it last. Yeah. I think so we're at three and a half years, which I think is already pushing it in terms of how long most people keep their phones. So yeah. I, maybe I'll come back you. in a couple of years time and we'll see if it's still going. <laughs> I'm not trying to one up you, but I got a five. <sighs> that I'm still holding on to. But the battery is like, I have a battery case because it's just sitting there doing nothing. It will drain it in, a, yeah. in half a day, doing nothing. So so recently I tried to go back to a BlackBerry because I used Blackberries for, uh, I don't know, 10 years roughly, something mm-hmm. like that, seven years, whatever it was. And I found out how virtually impossible it was. Now, there were a, several things that were just maddening so jordan and i we did a a video about this and i think we'll put it out probably wait till january because i'm i'm trying a few other things here but uh it's really the the experience of well there were quite a few things that stood out to me one is i had this sort of nostalgia thing about i'm going to go back to this and it's going to be just as great as it once was Mm. i mean i'm going to make telecom great again um and the thing is, it wasn't actually as great as you remember it. Mm. And and so my excitement, as we were talking about earlier, with yeah, uh, the, my excitement was actually misplaced. And anytime this is a, uh, this is a new thing that I've discovered about myself. Anytime I get really excited about a thing, it's actually a problem mm-hmm. because the things are a tool. They're they're not meant to be 
to be loved or cherished or 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 I shouldn't treat them as precious. And 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 so I brought it back in and they were all instantly because it was it's already an obsolete device. I bought it off of eBay and so like this thing it's just sitting out there. I might as well try to use it. I go to activate the service on it through AT&T and by the way, AT&T was a nightmare. In fact, this morning I just got a bill from them. even though I owe them zero money. Yeah. They just billed me for $122 out of nowhere. Dude, that's the oldest trick in the book with telecom. Yeah. yeah you remember just, when, I mean, yeah, when, when we would just, yeah. And so now I have to call them and I spent, I've already spent hours on the phone trying to cancel the service. At one point I felt like a hostage. They wouldn't let me cancel. Oh my God. They literally wouldn't let me cancel. And it wasn't. If you the, sign up for internet and cable, we could actually save you money. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, I'm like, so you really not cancel? going to cancel well we can't in our system right now because oh they gave God. me all these they passed me around they disconnected me a bunch of wow. times it was a total nightmare but but it was mimetic of the consumer experience you you get excited about this one thing but you forget about all these other costs that we talked about. And one of those costs is the hassle of dealing with everything on the back end, whether it's going to donate the thing or turning off the service on the thing, replacing the thing, talking to customer service. And it's just, it, our things produce nightmares in our lives that we never think about at the point of purchase, which brings me to the next point here, or one of the points, does this brand use ethical business practices? Now, how would you define an ethical business practice, Tara? I would say that's about taking into account both the human aspect, so all of the people who've contributed to the making of that pro product, have they been fairly treated? Um, have um, Has there been any animal cruelty involved? Um, I think it's about making sure that the, the company itself was mindful of any living being that could have been affected by the making of their product and making sure that they have thought about that mm -hmm. and um, and have put in place some fair working practices because for unfortunately so many products it is not the case and you know slavery is still well alive and kicking in in so many countries and you know including um this one unfortunately where uh, products are being made off the backs of children and people who are sitting at sewing machines for 18 hours a day and you know aren't getting enough to eat and it's just it's it's, it's heartbreaking so making sure that we're not supporting any of those com uh, companies is important i think about yeah. two things here have you seen the uh new documentary on netflix called american factory have either one of you no. seen it? I seen it so it takes place in our hometown of dayton ohio mm. and you, you know, remember the old gm plant that closed in uh, at the end of 08 yeah uh, they're in Moraine. Yep. Um, so, uh, what's the name of the place that replaced it, Sean? Was it uh, Fuyao, I think? Yeah, Fuyao. And so, Fuyao bought the place, I think in 2014, approximately. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a giant auto manufacturing uh, glass company. So, they make glass for automobiles. Mm. A very specialized type of glass, obviously. And so... Uh, what you see is a bunch of people who worked at GM before. They finally they get to come back and they have jobs now. Of course, it's it, it it's ethical, but it's relatively um, less prosperous than what it was before because people were making forty dollars an hour there. I mean, my uncle worked there was probably at the end of his retirement making 
sixty dollars an hour there and now people are making 14 bucks an hour there right so it's it's more than minimum wage in ohio which i think is you know 725 or something uh, absurd but uh what what those people are dealing with is also like okay they're trying to so they brought in a bunch of people from china to work there as well and you realize like, oh, there's a particular culture in China, even when it's not slave labor, it is uh, almost a type of indentured servitude in a way, right? Because the people who were brought over from China are in that factory working six or seven days a week, about 16 hours a day, and the Americans are working eight hours a day, mm. and they're lo- looked at as like lazy or not enough, and and the documentary actually did a really good job of making you sympathize strangely with both sides because you realize like, okay, like in order for this place to be profitable and be open in America, you actually have to work more. And if you unionize, they might close it down. Mm -hmm. But then you, you see the worker side and you're like, if you don't unionize, you're going to get taken advantage of. And there is, all of this gets really muddy. There is not a, a clear answer, unfortunately. The other thing I was thinking about is Ryan and I, we've only ever created one physical product other than our books, which I don't think of as a physical product. I think of those as an experience. But we did a, a bag. Um, it's the same bag that's in our documentary. And we, we partnered up with a friend of ours named Malcolm Fontier who produced this bag basically as an art project. He made 300 of them ever. And Ryan and I owned two of them. So about roughly 1% of the, the bags that were in production we owned. <laughs> and we were on tour with them. It was a phenomenal bag. It's just a bag, but it's a great bag. And so many people. We got over 1,000 emails after the documentary hit Netflix. And people were like, where do you get the bag? Or where's your bag from? And at first I was frustrated. Like, wait, you watch a documentary about minimalism. <laughs> the, the only thing you got out of that is you want to buy the damn bag that's in the documentary. Like, we have failed you. <laughs> we're so sorry. Right. <laughs> But then I realized, like, okay, the, the truth is I've gotten more value from this bag. I've used it for a very long time, and it will hopefully last me for close to a lifetime or at least hundreds of trips that I've been on. And uh, I've gotten immense value from this one item, and I've repaired it a few times. And, and you know what? Maybe other people will get value from it as well. And so we decided to, to bring it back out. It's uh, packedbags.com if you're interested, P-A-K-T bags.com but the thing i always tell people i had someone direct message me yesterday hey where's the bag from the documentary and i Mm. I said i said well it's here but uh, remember a few things one is it's just a bag and you probably don't need a new bag yeah if you do it's the best bag i have ever used but doesn't mean it's going to be the best bag you will use it doesn't mean it's appropriate for you but we were making that bag um we we decided it was virtually impossible for us to manufacture it in the United States because you can manufacture a lot of apparel here, but when it comes to uh, travel supplies, like it, it didn't make sense. The bag itself is not it's not cheap now, but it would have been over a thousand dollars to manufacture it here, um, and and have the same quality. Yeah. But we also didn't want to manufacture it somewhere where in a factory where there were they were using children or unethical labor practices and so there are actually two two factories that 
we were going to manufacture in that we didn't because it was like, oh, it's not really above board. Like you make it look like it is, but we go in to audit them. So we, we actually, Malcolm and his team went over and they toured factories mm -hmm. and eventually ended up in a place in Vietnam that was appreciably better than the other places and interviewed the workers there. And it made the bag more expensive for us and, and for the, the consumer. But I also realized that, that people are willing to pay a little bit more to ensure that there are ethical business practices, especially if it's for something that you're going to ideally use for a very long time or maybe even the rest of your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Tara, what you're doing is so important. I mean, I said this in the in the minimal episode, but you know, Josh and I, we talk so much about getting rid of your stuff and avoiding stuff and avoiding getting new stuff. But what you do, walking people through buying things intentionally, it's it's such an important work you're doing. I'm going to go through some of the topics you have at buymeonce.com. It, 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 it's all over the place. I mean, you, so you you talk about some products on there. We we can talk about maybe some of the the your favorite brands that last a long time. But then you also have articles on there like how to ditch plastic on the go, um, easy planet friendly habits. Uh, how to care for iron pans. I assume the pan that you were talking about earlier was maybe a cast iron pan that you got. It is. Okay. It's an amazing brand called Solitechnics, and they have kind of dealt with all of the issues that you might have with a pan. So, um, you know, with, with a frying pan, the, the handle gets wobbly and the nonstick goes. Those are kind of the two main things. Mm -hmm. So with this pan, it's all made out of one piece. So there's nothing to go wrong there. And it's uh, constantly replenishably um, naturally nonstick. So you season it instead of like having a Teflon coating that might end up peeling off mm. in, you know, three, to, three to five and get getting in your food. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. God knows what's going on there. Right. Um, so, yeah, exactly. So uh, and then one thing that I, I was just laid on, my daughter just started first grade and you have a, a back to school essentials. It's something we don't think about, but talk about a whole industry of uh, of two things of false demand where that you're creating like oh of course you need the trapper keeper whoever actually used the trapper keeper i don't know if you know what that is no. but dude i yeah. totally used the trapper exactly. keeper it had a lamborghini on the front and you, it was awesome it was terrible you know it was terrible <laughs> it was terrible you know why it's terrible because you're not still using it now <laughs> uh, it, but it made me look cool <laughs> no it didn't no. <laughs> but my uh, mom said i was cool a trapper keeper is essentially a uh, what you would call folio, maybe or portfolio. Uh, so like a like a file, like a binder. A binder, yeah, but for but for children, it yeah. has like okay. designs on it. And the thing is, they're clunky. Yeah. And uh, Velcro wears out on them. Yeah, <laughs> but isn't that the thing with with back to school supplies or back to school essentials? Is you. You show up at wherever you go. You're you're going to Walmart or Target or, or wherever, and it's that time of year. If it's August, or I guess probably even July now, they're starting to put it out where you see aisles and aisles of back-to-school essentials. But, of course, if everything is essential, then nothing is essential. But we're treating all of these things like I have to have this or my kid's journey through education is not going to be complete. 
Yeah, I mean, they do an incredibly good job, especially on parents of making you feel like you're a bad parent mm. unless you have this. And, and especially with babies as well, it's just awful. But, you know, you know unless you, uh, you know, get this type of uh, pram or unless you have all of these crazy things like a, a PPTP, Google it, it's, it's, it's awful. <laughs> um, but, you know, unless you have all of this stuff, somehow you're like a bad mom. And, mm. you know, before you have a baby, you're going to be paranoid about this anyway so yeah. you know in order to get into our heads and get us to buy more they they tell us that it's an essential where actually most of these things are luxuries and i actually have an exercise in my book about thinking about what's a luxury and what's an essential and trying to take ourselves back to a time where none of this stuff even existed so for example we would might think of our shower as, as essential, but in order to feel that gratitude for it and, and remember that it is something that's actually a bit of a luxury, imagine your shower disappeared mm. and you had to pump water from a well and then heat it up on a, some kind of fire and then pour it over your head. Like it makes you really appreciate like standing underneath totally. that yeah. shower. My, my building is, I live in an old building and they are constantly turning the water off. Like probably twice a month, they turn the water off. <laughs> just, to, just to help you appreciate the water. <laughs> right. I really Because I'll, I'll get in the shower, I'll turn it on and it's like, it's water appreciation <laughs> week. Nothing. And I'm like, oh, I forgot today. They tell us in advance, thankfully. Yeah. But like, so I'll usually put it in my calendar, but sometimes I'll forget. And then all of a sudden it's Wednesday and I, I go to take a shower and it's like, no, nope, not today. Yeah. Um, and, and so you, in a strange way, that does help me appreciate it. We, we're, uh, there's a, a saying, you know, we're, we're attracted to the things that we can't have. And, mm. and so the temporary sort of deprivation, while I certainly wouldn't want to live without a shower now, but going without it. Uh, it somehow makes the uh, it makes you appreciate. Oh yeah, you know what? No, yeah, uh, this doesn't have to be in my life. Nothing has helped me more th to appreciate the things I have than going to a third world country. So Josh and I, we helped build a school over in in Laos, and they literally have like one solid paved road that goes you know north to south, but pretty much every road that shoots off of it mm -hmm. is a dirt road that's by the way like washed away. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have like a four wheel drive vehicle i mean it's it's a very rough rough like ditches wheels. yeah it's crazy and uh the, the 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 person who so we partnered with this coffee shop who uh my friend uh tyson adams he's he runs and this coffee shop is there specifically to do philanthropic work for uh the city that that they are in uh paxay or paxong i forget what one of those is the capital and the other one is where tyson adams is at but the dude who runs the coffee shop, he's the happiest guy in the world, man. He is just like, I just loved being around him. He was a beam of light to like hang out with. And uh, so positive. Yeah. And he was talking to me about how he did bucket showers. I'm like, what's a bucket shower? And he's like, it's exactly what it sounds like. He's like, I pour a bucket of water over me. I wash myself and then I pour another bucket of water over me. I'm like, do you heat it up? He's like, no, no. Sometimes like if it's the water's really cold, but usually not. But it's like living in a third world country. And ju that's just one of the many things that I experienced there where I'm like, oh, like you can't just, the, the 2020 rule doesn't work amazingly in Laos. Right. And and going to a place like that, uh, it really does help change your perspective on what is essential and what is not essential. And I'm telling if Mariah and I ever have kids, like as soon as they're old enough to understand, like I, I if we go in Make a, them take bucket showers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to turn off their water twice a month. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm going to take them to... 
a country like that and just you know help them try to help them understand that uh yeah the things that we think we need we don't necessarily need talking about the pencil case or or, or the back to school stuff um it makes me think of this story i, I saw where this little girl went to her mom asked her for like a pencil case and it was the specific pencil case. I don't know how old this girl was, first, second grade, but it's all this pressure from marketing. Mm-hmm. It's all this pressure from the kids yeah. who are like, I need this exact pencil case. So her mom goes out and gets her what she thought was the right pencil case, brings it to her, and the girl threw it in the trash. She was like, and her mom was like, it was, it was you know, something I had to work really hard for. And she threw away because, oh, everyone else had it. That was the old one, whatever it was. And the mom ended up uh, giving her a Ziploc bag with pencils in it and was like okay here's your pencil case we're gonna go ahead and donate this one yeah and i was like what a good lesson to teach you get i I mean i don't know if i'm you know it's very easy for me to look at other parenting styles and and judge it without me like trying it out myself but i just thought that was a it's a great example of what we're speaking to of all this pressure from all different angles of getting these back to school uh, uh items but like helping kids see the what the what the necessities actually are um, that is, I mean, that's how to be a good parent, really. Ella tried to run away this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Did you give her a Ziploc bag? Uh, <laughs> no, she, uh, it's funny what we, what we, what strikes us as important in, in the moments. I remember the, the one time I, I know, uh, my wife Bex did this as well. I, I, I was five when I, when I ran away, um, and I packed two suitcases. Now I was far more practical than Ella, <laughs> but, uh, I packed two full suitcases. One was full of food, which really like canned goods and, and a can opener. <laughs> and of course you, it, this is before there were wheels on luggage. And so it's canned goods are heavy as hell. Right. <laughs> and so it's full of these canned goods. And the other suitcase is full of toys because, you know, <laughs> entertainment, right? So I have food and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, but of course, I'm walking down the street uh, and I'm dragging one suitcase at a time. So I drag it five squares, that's five, like, little you know, cement blocks down and I go get the other suitcase and drag it five squares and then I drag the other one five squares. I just kept going until I was out of sight. <laughs> uh, I made it really far. But um, my, my mom just sort of stood there on the porch and watched me leave. Mm. And uh, and she's like, ah, you'll be back. And uh, <laughs> Which is the appropriate response, I yeah. think. Anyway, Ella, uh, she got mad because we wouldn't let her watch, uh, her mom wouldn't let her watch videos in the morning because she can't watch videos in the morning you know it's it's a, a treat for the weekends and um so she got really mad she was crying and then so she went upstairs and she she grabbed the heart rock that she had given her mom she, i'm taking this back and you can't have it and then she like and she grabbed her watch she for some reason still can't tell time she needed to bring her watch with her <laughs> that this is a perfect metaphor for like the thing even kids are, are fascinated by watches like just as fascinated as we are <laughs> as adults like, oh, i'll be complete if i just buy the the rolex or the whatever the what is it the philip petite uh petite i don't know Protect. yeah thank you <laughs> there you go i don't know if they're at buymeonce.com uh, uh, no. <laughs> a thirty thousand dollar watch took a heart um, and a watch yeah yeah and uh she can't tell time the 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 rock does literally nothing and then she had like this this dolphin stuff not stuff but this dolphin 
toy. And she goes to leave and she's walking out and drops the dolphin and breaks breaks it and like she she doesn't actually leave. She just panics, starts crying even more that you know the <laughs> the the dolphin has broken. And to me I looked at it and I realized like, oh, like don't I do the same thing? I pretend certain things are I, there's a story I tell myself that, oh, this is so important. Or this, I impart meaning on an item as opposed to getting the value from what the item actually does for me. I love the thing as opposed to using the thing, right? You know, our next book is called Love People Use Things. And and really it's about it's about the relationships that and the stories we, we, we have in our life. We tell ourselves a particular story that it's okay to just sacrifice my values a little bit or this thing is going to make me happy in some hypothetical future or our relationship with the truth becomes a little bit shaky and and we start telling lies about the smallest things and then those cascade into much greater lies and how difficult the truth actually is to tell. And the most difficult truth is the, the truth that we have to tell ourselves, mm. being honest with ourselves. And so Ryan is finishing each chapter with some sort of advice, some very practical advice. And and one of the things that he talks about at the end of that truth chapter is, man, like you have to you have to start by being honest with yourself. And you have to maybe even talk about the lies that you're telling yourself. And you don't even realize they're lies. They're stories that we tell. Like that that thirty thousand dollar watch is going to what help me tell time better? Yeah. No, yeah. of course not. Yeah. Or or worse, like people like me because of my thirty thousand dollar watch. Right. And, and <laughs> even if there is a if there's a, a kernel of truth in that, yeah. the, really the the actual story is the wrong people will like me because of my thirty thousand yeah. dollar watch. Yeah. I think that's all about status, and I, and I talk about this quite extensively. How you know we as humans are very tuned up to other people's status and it's unfortunate but we can't really help it because back in caveman days you know our status was incredibly important because if you had low status you might be kicked out of the tribe and you would end up starving and you could die so we have a very paranoid kind of monkey inside our heads kind of constantly looking out and trying to figure out kind of where we sit and comparing ourselves and advertisers know this and so they use it to their advantage so um, for example, with the kind of snazzy watch ads and for a lot of high fashion items, you'll get adverts. And I'm sorry for people just listening instead of YouTube. You have these models and they're looking down at you like, huh. If you came across someone in real life that looked at you in that way. You think they're be- having a stroke. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, so weird. And they're, they're kind of like the scaliness in their face. But what mm. that does, it 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 kind of activates the paranoid monkey in your head. And what it does is it gets that monkey kind of like, oh my goodness, there's someone looking at me like I am dirt. You know, what can I do? And this is also happening subconsciously. We can't really kind of intercept it, unfortunately. But what it does is it creates enormous kind of internal panic response where you're like, how can I make myself feel better again? Mm. Kind of elevate my status up again. And that, is like, oh, look, I could buy this back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's what happens with brands um, like burning all of their products when they can't sell it because 
they don't want, you know, low status, inverted commas, people to be able to purchase these products because they've essentially promised that this product will give you status. And mm -hmm. so if a low low status person, yeah. inverted commas, was to wear it, that would be a disaster. And so instead of donating it, they burn it. Right. Like, wow. um, you know, Burberry did this, like millions and millions of dollars worth of stock was burnt. And that for me is disgusting. Like yeah. the waste, yeah. hideous. Not only are you creating like a false like status symbol, but you're also releasing all those toxins into the environment and yeah. One of our favorite comedians, Ryan, uh, uh, Chris D'Elia, he, um, he on his podcast, he often talks about people who are attracted to shiny things. He calls them barracudas. <laughs> Yes. Because that that's kind of like we're all you know to some some extent a cuda right like we're all attracted <laughs> to these these uh, shiny things and that, that's a, you know so barracudas that that that's what they do they they see something shiny at the surface of the water and they attack it essentially yeah. and we as consumers we're all barracudas we're, we're we behave the same way where we we attack something and. Uh, we, we, we go after without any sort of justification, but it's like it's following the next trend, the new shiny thing, the thing that's going to bring me status because we don't even think of it that way. We don't, we don't intellectually perform the exercise of this will bring me more status and make me stand out. No, we'll, we'll say things like, well, no, I'm just doing this for me because I like it. Oh, do you really like it? Mm. Um, and, and if so, great. You know, it's okay to like high quality things. Um, I prefer to wear things without a logo because I don't want to, to, tr I'm not trying to communicate because to me that the logo thing is sort of like a, the, the Barracuda thing. It's a more rever rever reverse Barracuda thing or it's like, I uh, look at me, look what I have. Let me project my status on, on, on to you. And what will you like me more now if I have the little horse on my T-shirt mm. or whatever? Mm. There's a very easy way to figure out where when you're buying for status and when you're buying for yourself, and that's to imagine that uh, you've gone all I am legend. Everyone else has disappeared off the planet. What are you gonna wear? Mm. Yes. It's not gonna be Manona Blanix. Like it's not gonna be like incredibly, usually very uncomfortable. <laughs> high status clothing yeah it's gonna be like comfy shoes right maybe sweatpants <laughs> right. like you know if you actually think about what you would really wear or or own for yourself um if everyone disappeared off the planet and what you're actually buying so that you can show that you own it it's it's chalk and cheese yeah what I a great that exercise yeah. that's a great quickie too guys um i, I think that the what I, if I if I think about that experiment in the real world, I, I do this now in many ways in our home because we very, my wife and I are both extreme introverts, me even more so than her. It's like we very rarely have people over. And so the things that we own are higher quality and they tend to last a long time. They're, they are literally just for us because very few people are in our home ever. And I think the same is true with the outfits that I that I tend to wear. I mean, I wear this almost every single day. I have a pair of Mission Workshop pants and um, these shirts are, I think these are American apparel, made in America. Mm. Um, but um, the the what I wear here would be what I would wear in I Am Legend 
where it was i am legend right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so uh it, during the zombie apocalypse like I want something that's going to be comfortable for me and that works well for me. And I'm not trying to signal to the zombies that uh, uh, I'm better plaque, than them. So, you know, the, the blood won't show up too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have some questions here today from from our audience, uh, from some folks on Patreon. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us. Jimmy says, I need sunglasses, but I always manage to break them. Is it okay to buy cheaper ones knowing you will replace them every year? Now for me, I I always so we were at, we had a conversation with um, Jason Zook. Mm. And I, I told him I lost his book and I never lose anything. <laughs> yeah. That is wasn't completely true because there's one thing I lose f- with high frequency and it's sunglasses. And there seems to be a direct link between or an inverse relationship between if the higher the price, the more frequently I will lose the sunglasses. I don't know why this is. Hmm. And so I found a third option for me between should I buy the expensive ones or the cheap ones? Now, personally, I, I've pretty much just stopped buying sunglasses at this point because <laughs> I just lose them. And uh, there are actually some health benefits to exposing your eyes to, to the sun. Um, I learned this from Saladino, Dr. Dr. Saladino, who was on our podcast. But um, I don't know. Let's talk about this. So cheap sunglasses, if you're going to lose them or break them frequently versus uh, versus expensive ones that might work better for you. Well, I'm never going to advocate getting the kind of the cheap throwaway versions. No surprise there. Yeah. Um, what I would say is uh, find a pair of sunglasses that they do exist with a lifetime guarantee, even you know if you sit on them or um, you know in their scratch-resistant lenses. And then it's about finding techniques to make sure you don't forget them and don't lose them. And I have a chapter um, on this in my book about you know the the things that we often do lose. And um, and I'm really interested in mnemonic techniques, so memory exercises. Mm-hmm. So one of the exercises I have for losing glasses because that's a classic one is um, you essentially train yourself to only put them in one place. And the way to do this is, you know, practice taking your glasses off and putting them down in a random place. Now imagine your sunglasses screaming at you and like bursting into flames and actually having a massive go at you. And you're like, oh God, okay, right, right, fine, 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 fine. But do this a few times so that in the future when you put your sunglasses down in a random place, you have that memory and your, your glasses will start screaming at you in your own mind and you'll remember to put them in the place that you designate. I like that. I, uh, I do something. Well, I have a checklist because so, I do have an expensive pair of sunglasses that, I mean, I could like, because I always break mine. I don't, I don't lose them, although I lose everything else, but I also break everything else. But I will like put them in my pocket or just forget that they're there or um, they'll fall out of my pocket and then I sit on them, whatever it is. So I got a pair that, I mean, I can just like bend the hell out of them and like, I can do anything to them. And like, they are pretty much indestructible, knock on wood. Now I feel like I'm challenging myself to break them, but I have a checklist. Like when I'm leaving places, I will, it's like wallet keys, phone, sunglasses. Now, um, I have forgot them at the office once or twice. Um, I tried to sell him on his on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> could, he could leave them here. He couldn't even get $2 for him. Um, <sighs> But yeah, I, I think I like your idea better because to me that's creating emotion mm-hmm. and that's one of the best ways to remember something is to create emotion. So like having them, you know, kind of 
yelling at you and imagining them screaming you know they're dying for help like that is that i love that technique that's good i also like the idea of temporarily depriving yourself so if you do lose them or you break them go a period without them and 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 figure out you know what what whether or not your life is just as good without that item. And for me, I actually learned that with sunglasses. I was tired of, of losing them. Mm. For whatever reason, it's the one item that I, I tend to lose or I'll leave behind and it's frustrating. And so I, I own a pair of sunglasses now, but I very rarely use them because I went a very long time without them. And so there will be times where I, like if we're going to go to the beach with Ella mm-hmm. or something I, and I will... I will bring them then, especially if I'm going to be reading at the beach. Like yeah. it makes sense, but I don't, I don't depend on them anymore, and that is a lot more freeing for me because I don't have to depend on a particular item. So yep. it's okay to go without for a while, determine whether or not you actually need that thing. Totally agree. Yeah, the beach and, and driving for me is like when I need them the most. Yeah, yeah with driving, I, I I find that I'm I'm better off without them personally. Yeah. Ashley says, "How do you justify spending money on clothing items?" When you're still in debt, I've lost weight and I no longer feel comfortable in my good condition, but oversized items, but I struggle to spend the money on new ones. Hmm. So, so first off, congratulations that you're trying to, to get out of debt. And I think that's, that's important. Ryan and I have an exercise that if you have to put something on a credit card, you can't afford it. If yeah. you're in debt, you can't afford it. And so if I were, were in Ashley's shoes personally, I would I would find a way. Now, also, I, I've been through this as well. I lost 80 pounds back in, in my 20s, so my clothes didn't fit anymore. Now, I did something really stupid, Tara. <laughs> I So I weighed 240 pounds. I had quite a few double XL shirts, and I just put them in a bin in my basement. Just in case I got really fat again, <laughs> then I can... what? It's like a weird backup plan. Like, oh, I'm going to plan to gain all this weight back. Yeah. And so I, that to me, that was, that was a bad plan. But of course, I needed to have some essentials because I could no longer wear the things that were 80 pounds. It was like a different human being I had inherited clothes from. But uh, I think too often we conflate uh, high quality with high cost. Yeah. But it's possible for us to get especially clothes that are high quality, maybe used, high quality clothes that aren't going to break the bank for us. Absolutely. I think that uh, buying secondhand is amazing and we should definitely do more of it. There's a, a real movement certainly in the UK about you know shopping at thrift stores, etc. And it's definitely one of the best ways uh, of getting high quality items, especially vintage items, because they definitely used to make clothes mm-hmm. in, in a much more high quality way. So actually by buying things that maybe were made like 20, 30 years ago, you're kind of ups, up up um you're, you're you're making the quality of your, your clothing better you know it's funny you say that because uh bex and i we were over in atwater village which is the neighborhood here in la and i've noticed like actually there's a few places like this where they have really high quality vintage clothing like they they curate it really well and so whether it's like a concert t-shirt you know they're all t-shirts from the 70s or whatever and they're they're clearly well worn, <laughs> but they're also like they're they're still high qual high enough quality. Yeah. And I'm thinking a shirt that was produced in 2019 wouldn't last one tenth as long as a shirt that was produced in the 80s. I'm laughing because like I've seen those shirts like Led Zeppelin from 1970, and it's like 250 dollars. 
and it's like but but it's like it'll last <laughs> i mean i would never spend 250 dollars on a t-shirt there's also like a kitschy thing to it too right like it's an old like original tour shirt mm. but yeah vintage is cool so like if you can go to a a consignment shop and and find some clothes at a decent cost i mean i wouldn't feel terrible about that here's i mean here's how i would approach it like i'm trying to get practical here with like some solid advice if you're spending a hundred dollars a month on debt and you really really need clothes like you're just you feel terrible in your clothes they don't fit you at all they're way too big then fine allocate ten dollars of that hundred and pay 90 off towards debt and take 10 bucks and go to a consignment shop and try and find something uh, that's, uh, you know, I'm not going to make Ashley feel guilty for spending money on clothes when she's in debt. Um, if it's going to create more of a pressure cooker of a situation for yourself, then yeah, I mean, I would say, I would encourage you to get by on what you have right now, but if you can find a way, like, you know, there are months where I can save, uh, a, a, an X amount of money. And then, you know, with our business, it's not a hundred percent, uh, it's not consistent. So some months I can only save Y. And I don't beat myself up over, oh, well, I didn't save as much as I did last month. I mean, the, the key is, is that I am saving. The key is actually is that you are paying off your debt and you are focused on that and you are asking the right questions. But, you know, Josh and I are not big fans of deprivation for sure. Yeah, not long term anyway. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that, you know, if she said that these clothes are in good condition, maybe uh, it might be worth selling some of the more high quality items um, online and then specifically spending the money that they that she gets from that on uh, a new item of clothing or it what might be a fun project um, if she's that way inclined is to actually work at alterating some of those clothes and mm. in some way upcycling them so that they fit her again and, and actually learning a new skill of sewing which will you know is, is super fun it's very therapeutic and you know will mean that she'll be able to use that skill in the future those are great ideas like just to bounce off of selling her current clothes if she can find any way to bring in a little bit of extra income. So if that means delivering pizzas for a month or driving for Uber or selling some things around the house, it's like maybe, yeah, you can find some ways to increase your income just a little bit so you can replace those clothes. Cause Ashley, we want you to feel good. We want you to like the clothes that you have. That's what minimalism is about. It's about having the things that do add value to your life and that bring you joy. So I'll yeah. tell you about my favorite brand, the shirt. And uh, so we did an episode on clothing episode 56 a uh, long time ago, a couple years ago, and and I I divulged my secret. Like my my favorite brand of shirt, uh, t-shirt was a brand called Save Khaki, and I always buy them used on eBay. Except when I announced that, all of a sudden, they were no longer available used on eBay because everyone went to eBay and bought Save Khaki shirts. Mm -hmm. And so now I will buy them new if I need to because my my current shirts wear out. I will always go to eBay first, though, and I'll, I'll check. Um, and these long sleeve shirts I get, these were actually, Sean was with me when I bought these, um, they were 10 bucks each and, uh, they just happened. I think they were just overstocked and I don't know what's going on with American apparel. I don't know if they have much longer, uh, much more tenure left, but, um, dude, they're, it's funny. Their quality has changed though. They're the way that their shirts fit for me. Mm. It's funny how, like I, they used to be on my go-to shirt and yeah. now it's, yeah, now I do son of a tailor, which. If you buy 10 shirts, you can get them for like 40 bucks a piece or 30 bucks a piece, but they're like tailored to fit me. They're expensive, but dude, I've had these shirts for two years and I'll probably have them for, you know, at least another year or two where the American apparel ones, I wash them once they shrink. They don't last as long when I would, even when America, even when American apparel was in their prime, mm -hmm. I would go and buy, let's say six shirts. 
without a doubt, I would have to exchange one or two of them because of mm. like random holes in the armpits or threads coming undone. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny how t-shirts like what works for you. Like you look yeah. great in that t-shirt, man. Thanks. But if I was to go out and buy that same exact shirt, it might not necessarily look good on me. Yeah, I've never I've never worn their t-shirts, but it, just the the I've worn the long sleeve ones, and it's worked really well for me. But I haven't had that same experience. Uh, but ultimately what we're talking about here is buying something that you'll be able to get a lot of uses out of Mm -hmm. the average wardrobe. What is it? The average person throws away 88 pounds of clothes a year. It's like a wheelie suitcase essentially. (sighs) Like, I mean, that's what we're buying. And the the trouble with fast fashion is that, um, 50 uh, of it ends up in landfill after a year, which is, Awful. I mean, when, when you consider that in the 1930s, the average um, amount of clothing that we had was like, I think we had seven or eight outfits mm. each. And now we're buying like, I think it's about 69 um, wow. items of clothing a year wow. the average person buys, which is just insane. Um, I mean, I would say for me, it's about value over price. Like what value are you going to get out of that um, product and that's why what we're doing now is we're pairing up the universities to do a whole load of research so we can actually say on Buy Me Once this product will last you this long the average product will last you this long and therefore the price per use is this so you can put in like oh mm. well I, I imagine I'll wear this once a week or once a month and it'll literally break down say alright this will cost you 20 cents you know, per use, whereas actually the average T-shirt will cost you 40 cents per use. And then you got the value right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, these really like that. things that we buy, well, we justify, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and buy that because I, I noticed this a lot when we lived in, in Missoula. Um, people would buy um, really, really ugly things because they were like $20 cheaper or whatever. <laughs> and... and uh, oversized like an oversized coat that was orange it's like oh it's two sizes too big and it's the wrong color but i saved twenty dollars and it's like okay you're probably not enjoying the thing as much and if you don't enjoy it you there's a good chance you're not going to wear it as much and so the cost per use actually goes up considerably as a result and then you end up getting rid of it sooner and I understand wanting to get rid of something you don't enjoy, but the way to avoid that is to to be more deliberate about the things that we bring in. And yeah, I'm going to spend 20 bucks more uh, because I'm actually going to spend way less on the item over a, a longer period of time. I don't know, man. Missoula is a pretty funky place. <laughs> I think that oversized orange coat, like that's <laughs> that's probably I, their I'm, favorite coat. I'm just I've talked to people who have said this. <laughs> I'm just teasing, yeah. man. Saban says, "To book or to ebook? That is the question. Or should I go to the library?" Uh, yep. well, <laughs> so, so I mean, I think of books as an experience. I mean, of course, it can be a physical good, like this physical good here, Tara's book. I'll hold up for the camera. It's a physical good, but it does you no good if it just sits there on a bookshelf unread. And so the joy, the value is actually in the words, not in, the, the, not in it being a paperweight. You're also forgetting about audiobooks. I mean, that's another way to, if you enjoy podcasts, you might enjoy audiobooks. We've we've done audiobook versions of our books, and I know some months more people get audiobooks than they do physical books. And then ebooks are a big thing now too. And I assume you're a big fan, Tara, of of ebooks, uh, being that you're an environmentalist. I'm, uh, I'm a fan of all books, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, buy secondhand books, swap books. I have 
um, you know, as somebody who's you know a writer and slightly obsessed with books, I do kind of have a library of physical books that I've collected over my lifetime. But I also have a little notebook where I can write down if someone borrows a book. And so I've, I've actually created a library of my own. I think libraries are brilliant things. They need more support and they're an amazing way of, of getting um, access to this type of information. I probably do consume most of my reading now on Audible uh, or uh, where other good audiobooks um, can be found. Um, so I, I kind of love all uh, genres of books, uh, but I do think that ebooks are great from an environmental point of view. But I, I would just say that information and books in general are to be treasured. And so um, I don't really have a favorite. I love, I love them all. But um, if you can get it secondhand, definitely the best way to go from an environmental point of view. I do all yeah. four. Um, yeah, it depends on what's appropriate. Yeah. I mean, think about like books we get for guests who the books aren't out yet. Right. They have to send us a, a reader's, an advanced copy, a physical book. Right. Like you can't get an ebook. You can't get an audio book. Right. So I mean, each situation, you know, it's it's there are different situations where uh, a physical book is appropriate, an ebook is appropriate, an audible book is appropriate, and if you're asking the right question, then just do what's appropriate. Yeah, I like libraries because they give you an opportunity to read, and some libraries now even do audiobooks or ebook versions, uh, which is phenomenal. And I always encourage people, if you can't afford one of our books, go to your local library. They probably have it. If they don't, they can generally order it for you. And so that's that's a wonderful opportunity for you to be able to read. Dude, uh, yeah. The key is, is just reading. You can, Yeah, you can go on eBay and get, like, signed copies of our books for, like, two bucks. Yeah. I mean, there's a great second secondhand way to get our books, and you get our crappy signatures. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, our next question is from Maya. How to spend less money on food? Well, just, just stop eating. <laughs> Step zero. <laughs> Photosynthesis. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. The thing that I'll say about this is I would probably spend less money on other things first and prioritize eating healthfully. So eating organic, eating uh, the appropriate amount of macro and micronutrients, those are important. And we did a podcast with Rich Roll and Paul Saladino who have literally radically different diet, completely different. Rich Roll is a vegan athlete and one of the healthiest people I know. Paul Saladino is a carnivore medical doctor, literally does not eat plants. And they couldn't be more different in terms of what they consume, but their values are actually very similar. And what I found is they, they value high quality sources of food. They, they value the experience of eating with other people and community. And so, well, yes, I would encourage you not to go splurge and dine out. The easiest way for you to save money on high quality food is to cook at home, ideally in a really nice cast iron skillet that lasts a long time. But do you have any, uh, any tips? I think when it comes to food, again, you you kind of need to bring it back to kind of cost versus value. The value of good food cannot be underestimated. You know, in you know, when you spend money on good food, you're saving money um, in health bills in, in the future, certainly right. here in the States yeah. where you have to pay for your health care. Um, and I think... Sure, rub it in. Sorry about <laughs> that. <laughs> there is a amazing um, woman called um, Jack... Monroe in the UK who 
Uh, it's called The Bootstrap Cook, and she was on the poverty line with her son, literally kind of mashing a Weedabix with, with water at one point, and she wrote an amazing cookbook to help you save money, and it's all about kind of nutritious um, things that you can cook at home with very little and with very little money. But uh, one of the things that she definitely said is if you can grow your own herbs, then that can help enormously just to add flavor to whatever you are cooking mm. at home. And it can make the, a real difference. You know, if you don't have the money for maybe the, the best ingredients, obviously buy the best you can, then it can make you know the difference between something really dull and really bland and something you don't want to eat um, and something that's actually really yummy. Was it Dr. Ryan Green who said you can't afford to not eat healthy? Like it's, and it just goes back to paying the medical debt. Like people are like, oh, it's too expensive to eat organic. I can't afford it. It's like, no, you actually can't afford to not eat healthy. Yeah, the, the biggest cost is losing losing your health. As yeah. I found over the last year with, I got really bad E. coli poisoning. Literally one year ago today, it's my one year anniversary of suffering. Congratulations. Um, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for your question, Maya. Our next question is from Catherine. How can you prevent getting influenced by the fast fashion happening and not getting dragged into spending money on clothes and cosmetic products that are forever getting upgraded? Now, I think we covered this mm. mostly, but is there, is there anything else to talk about, Tara, with respect to fast fashion and avoiding fast fashion? Well, this is all about getting off that trend treadmill. Yeah. And what I would say about that is that, um, you know, there are a lot of people jockeying for position in terms of the power to set the trends so in the past this would would have been a one or two people like it might have been vogue magazine and a few des designers now there's a whole load of other you know players in the game there's influencers loads of different magazines lots of different designers and they're all playing for the power to set trends and trying to persuade us that we need this new new style um but what i would say to quote uh, my favorite game of thrones character is that power resides mm. where you believe it resides <laughs> and therefore there's no reason why that shouldn't reside with ourselves set your own trend and this involves doing research on yourself making sure like do, do i mean this sounds really old-fashioned but get your colors done what colors look great against your skin what cuts look amazing on your body and and really like go in deep in terms of your own style mm. so that then you can be like oh yeah well you know this is the tara style so when trends come through you can be like either immediately you're like no no i've looked into orange it's just not for me um or you know that i know immediately that you know if a dress ends at this length it's just not going to suit me i'm going to look like a frump and if you do that research up front, then it means that as trends come and go, you'll be able to pick out items that you know will make you look wonderful. And when you open your wardrobe, you'll be like, everything, I have everything to wear. Everything in my wardrobe is something that I want to wear and I feel excited about wearing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as soon as that you get your own style, then it means that you're off the trend treadmill and you're on your own style it's great yeah Catherine you got to get behind like the why like why do you really want the latest fashion is it because of the advertising pressure so get rid of the advertisements that you're looking at is it because of your friends they're pressuring you that sounds like some shitty friends is it because uh, you wh whatever it is like the more you can get clear on the why like that's going to give you leverage to stop this this uh, desire that you know is is not a healthy desire for yourself all right, we're running out of time. We've got some more questions here. I'm going to try and get through these pretty quickly. James says, what are the key questions to ask yourself in delineating want versus need? 
Well, the the thing isn't a question that I often say is you don't need that. And if I were to look at something and tell myself you don't need that, and I agree with that, if I I can talk myself out just about anything, but then of course I might still want the thing. The question I ask myself then is, will it serve a purpose or bring me joy? And if it serves a purpose in my life, I have to be honest with myself too. Not a hypothetical purpose, but will it actually serve? A, does it have a function in my life? And also another question I ask is, what would happen if I didn't buy it? What 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 would happen if I live without it? And in some cases is my life is actually going to be less stressful if I don't bring that into my life. Mm. Terry, do you have anything uh, to delineate want versus need? I think if you're struggling to try and figure out whether something that you bring into life is going to add value, like, I mean, for example, like buying a new instrument or something like that, then I would encourage people to uh, borrow the item for a while. So, for example, I in the past have been very flaky when it comes to musical instruments. You know, I had a piano, I didn't play it. I had a guitar, I didn't play it. Um, mainly because I have really short fingers. And uh, and so when I got in, uh, interested in playing the ukulele, because I was like, oh, well, maybe my fingers can, can deal with this like little guitar, um, I was really kind of wary. And so what I did is I put a call out on Facebook. I was like, does anyone have a ukulele I can borrow just to see whether I like it? Somebody had a ukulele hanging around that they didn't use anymore. I borrowed it for a while absolutely loved it It, I mean it was it was a kind of little you know crappy little thing but I I loved it and so then I asked for you know a proper lovely ukulele for my Christmas present and I've been playing it every day since so what I I love about that Ryan is is the the loving of it's not the the item itself because it could sit on a shelf and you would get no value from it whatsoever but it served a purpose in your life where you started playing and you loved the experience of interacting with the item and so in a way it enhanced your life as opposed to to getting in the way Let's uh, do one more question here from Samantha. How do you avoid analysis paralysis when making purchasing decisions? We also call this the the paradox of choice. Yeah. Mm. When you walk into a Walmart and you're instantly overwhelmed by infinite choice and I think about carpet samples or like tile samples. Oh. It's just like you ever you ever, you ever sort of flip through one of those books it's like oh man. <laughs> like yeah. So many choices. One thing I do good better best. I will I will automatically put it down to uh, in fact we were sean and i were doing this we were looking at different tabletops for this table here and it's the sample thing right it's like well there are 400 different choices Mm -hmm. of laminate tabletops so i don't know why i need that many but okay let's pick three that we can choose from so good better best or or what are my three options i instantly narrow it down and then it's okay what these are three i know i'll i'll like and then i'll probably be happy with now let's let's see which one's good, better, and best, and then I'll I'll pick the best out of that. It instantly limits the choice. Tara. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I think that one of the things that definitely helps with that is again doing doing the research up front. So um, for example, when it comes to bringing things into your home, when it comes to decor and those those, those tiles, uh, what I would encourage uh, people to do is um, spend some time when you've got some free time creating mood boards. Um, maybe spend 20 minutes just looking at, at, at decor and just noticing color, which colors are your eyes drawn to and create a mood board out of that the next 20 minutes or, or 10 minutes because 20 minutes is quite a long time. Like look at texture and then the next it's like styling and era maybe. And then once you, you really get a sense, kind of be really um, 
kind of fluid with your decision making, then you you then have kind of a template where you're like, well, I know that I love these colors. So then when you're kind of in a, in a room faced with all of these choices, you're like, I've looked into this. I know what I want, but it's incredibly hard to make a, a split decision on the spot when you are forced to. Yeah. You kind of almost have to do the research beforehand. We don't think about color enough, I, I think. And, and because again, that, that oversized orange jacket, and, and it's like, that might be appropriate for you, or it could just be, like, well, I really liked how it looked on the mannequin. Well, that's not a good, re- or I liked how it looked in the magazine. Yeah, but I'm also not, you know, Bradley Cooper, whoever was yeah. wearing the thing, right? The it's mannequin so- is the worst example. Like, because I've noticed what they do is they clip uh-huh. on the back, so they make it look all nice and form fitting. Right. It's like, <laughs> like you're not going to wear the shirt that way. <laughs> <laughs> if you did, it looked really strange. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then you see the the people in the magazine, but I'm not the person in the magazine, and so. What's appropriate for them is almost certainly not going to be appropriate for me. Mm-hmm. And so I need to figure out what colors do I like? What looks good on me? What do I what do I want in my home? What yeah, you know, I'm really impressed by our friend Carl who lives in, in Scotland. He runs a website, Minimalissimo, I'm sure mm-hmm. you're you're familiar with. We do a side project with him called minimalism.life. And um, everything he does is like it's very monochrome and and gorgeous but like he is he's incredibly restrained but i think we can all bring it doesn't have to be that same level of restraint into our own lives but understanding what we like helps us instantly sort out 80 percent of the stuff we know we're not going to like otherwise you end up with the orange sweatshirt with tassels that you never wear Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that um, can often affect our decision making are things like celebrities and you're you're being incredibly influenced by almost putting whatever you think about that celebrity onto the object. So, for example, I really love Jennifer Lawrence um, and she does handbag ads and it makes me kind of feel good about the handbags. I'm like, yeah, it's probably quite it's quite kooky. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's kind of fun. And the way to kind of figure out whether that is is something that's true or not whether you actually like the handbag is just to like cut out a face of someone that you really don't like and put it over the top and it's like suddenly the handbag takes on a whole (laughs) new personality you're like oh my god it's really crass (laughs) you know it's really brash yeah and then actually that those two people like cancel each other out and you're like Mm. do i actually like the handbag Mm. i'd also say if you trust um a particular website or a particular influencer to curate um products and then that can be an easy shortcut essentially buy me once is there to do the research so that people don't have to so if you find a a site that you trust that kind of matches your values then that can be an easy shortcut to kind of with the processing if they're just putting forward a few things that you believe that will be the right choices for you. I think that's why Ryan comes to me about the, what pants should I wear? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it's important. I, I do that with Ryan with other things too. It, you, When you lean on people that you trust, especially people you know, they're going to point you in the right direction. Ultimately, you're you're responsible for your own decisions and, and, and so keep that in mind. But you can have people, whether you know them or, or websites like, like Buy Me Once, you can have them point you in the right direction and then it's up to you to, to go that sort of last mile of, of consuming responsibly. Tara Button, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I want to acknowledge you for creating something 
that I think is useful and also important. Buymeonce.com. I want to encourage folks to check out A Life Less Throwaway as well. That's your book. And uh, if they check it out online, is there anywhere else we should send them? Uh, just buymewants.com and you can find me wherever Tara Button is. Uh, I think there's only one of me. So yeah, it'd be great to hear from anyone who wants to get in touch. Cool. Thanks for being here. Brilliant. All right, y'all. Love people, use things. We'll see you next time. We love you, patrons. Thanks so much. The Minimalists. <laughs>